0: to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Brendan Morahan. Okay, good morning everyone,
1: and welcome to the next episode of Construction Big Breakfast. Um, Lovely, hot, sunny day here in London, and we're joined by Rob Wolf, who I'll ask to introduce himself in a moment, and also uh, my colleague, Ben Pritchard. Um, And as always, um, the content of today is intended to be conversational. Um, We hope it stimulates some interest. So we do, as always, welcome some feedback. Rob, I'll ask you to introduce yourself in the moment, what your background is and where you come from. But before you do that, maybe I could ask you in the traditional
0: sense. So let us know what you had for your breakfast this morning. Uh, well, actually, this morning um, I had a bacon butty. Um, I slept out. I'm lucky enough to live in the Calder Valley, and actually last night I slept in a hammock in the woods. So I had a bacon butty up in the woods this morning, which is very nice. Oh, it
2: did it! Lovely. Hey, Are you, you babe, for it? Um, well, for me, I mean, I uh, I've done a few of these recently, and I keep moaning to myself that the answer is always porridge. So I made the effort to go slightly different. And actually inspired by um, ben, uh, ben Channon, who was the guest in the last podcast, um, I've been having bagels this week. So yeah. a bit of bagels, green cheese and a bit of ham. It was uh, a, a nice diversion from the, uh, from the porridge.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that because I always have porridge and not because of coming on here this morning, but because it was just so hot. I just had a small bowl of muesli and a grapefruit. So uh, change all round. But uh, a hammock and a bacon bussy, I think, trumps all of them, doesn't it? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just do that for this podcast I have to say <laughs> Are you sure? So, what, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh and your business and what really drives you as far as
0: the industry is concerned um so yeah I, I um my background is very much in kind of grassroots community regeneration so I've worked in in prisons, setting up resettlement units, um, worked setting up pupil referral units. And one of my first roles in the kind of early 2000s um, was working on a regeneration scheme, looking after young people, setting up what's kind of now termed as an apprenticeship training agency. And in 2006, we set up what is now uh, CHI, um, which used to stand for Construction and Housing Yorkshire, really to look at how inward investment can benefit local communities, particularly those deprived communities that surround uh, the sort of city center in Leeds where we where we formed the business. Um, what drives me is social value or what's now termed as social value. It's just looking at what benefit uh, the built environment can bring to communities, to individuals, to the industry. Kind of really looking at kind of how we can uh, benefit society and working with all the different sort of subsectors and cross sectors within the construction industry is just fascinating to me about how they all interact together and how we can kind of become purpose and value led, um, and you know take take that agenda and campaign for that agenda and create practical ways in which we can have an impact on society, positive impact on society. Sure. Sure. Now, it's very interesting, Rob, because when we started our business, uh,
1: we were very clear that the, the reason for us being was to ensure that all of those great people in our industry are recognized for the good that they do. Mm. Uh, therefore, we, we work under this vision of being at the core of a positive construction sector. And our mission is about creating value through construction. But one of the challenges we have both internally and externally is there are a number of subjective elements there. So when I talk about people in the industry being recognized, what does recognition actually mean and how do you measure that? When I talk about us being at the core of positive construction sector, what does positive mean? And when I talk about creating value through construction, what does value mean and how do you measure that? So I was particularly interested in the work you've been doing on evidencing and measuring social value in particular do you want to Mm. just maybe go into a bit more detail about
0: how that evolved and some of the challenges you faced in doing just that yeah I mean well it it all started sort of I suppose back in 2006 um, and really the ways in which we started to look at sort of planning and procurement process in the in the 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 sort of uh, social value that construction could create was very much output driven which is what's become kind of commonplace within our industry around employment and skills plans so really looking at things like numbers of apprentices numbers of work experience weeks numbers of educational visits really since then it has expanded and become much much more value-led so what we're looking at now for instance with apprenticeships is kind of what are the outcomes for those apprentices what are the outcomes for industry so are those apprentices securing good sustainable work once they've completed their qualification are they remaining in our industry how do we make sure that the training that they receive is relevant to the industry Um, how do we look at new innovations modern methods of construction and how do we make sure that the apprenticeships that we're creating are as i say of value to the industry But as well, it's expanded in kind of a measurement sense to try and look at the sort of health and well-being outcomes, both for our existing workforce as an industry. How do we improve their health and well-being? Um, Construction, unfortunately, has the highest amount of suicides um, of any industry. So it's, you know, the health and well-being of our workforce is paramount. So how do we support that? And how do we make sure that those jobs that we're creating and people coming into our industry view it as a positive supporting sector, diverse sector to to come into. So the sort of the role of social value, I suppose, is broadened from what traditionally may be thought of as social value, which is all based around skills and new jobs. It's really becoming much more outcome driven, which is harder to quantify. Um, but there are measures um, which we maybe can go into a bit more detail on but there are ways in which we're looking to do that now in a more objective way
2: yeah and is does that include um sort of how we impact externally or indirectly to um, people within the industry so you know a lot of what we build um impacts people's daily lives whether that be where they live where they work or where they go to sort of school hospitals things like that you know the greatest social impact we can have both positive and negative if we unfortunately do it wrong is on people who are nothing to do directly with the industry.
0: Yeah so when um, again not to sort of give you a history lesson I suppose of social value but when it started and and, and still very commonly now a lot of the social value is, is sort of placed on the contractor for that 18 months 24 months that they're on site whereas now over the last sort of 12 to 18 months we've really been seeing social value being considered all the way through the the sort of REBA stages if you will right from the kind of master planning and planning approach all the way through to end user and occupation and and communities and the impact on those communities Um, but I have to say that is a very um burgeoning area i suppose for social value for the social value sector um to try and bring all of that together to show how interventions right at the beginning of the built environment process can actually have an impact on those end communities and end users and end occupants of those uh, residential or, or commercial developments or whatever the the development may be
2: and so just on that point, I, I guess the question is, so what? I, I mean, is it what material difference is it making to people's approaching approaches towards that master planning? Are we seeing people actually putting some weighting behind it in procurement, in how they plan? Do they understand that something that creates this value can be sold for more sort of things so that they can see that golden thread and why it's a good a good thing to do? Um I think it's 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 kind of a
0: number of things at the moment in procurement. We are certainly since the Social Value Act in two thousand and thirteen, we are seeing those questions being asked of um, through procurement of how that social value will be generated and created through that service, whether that's a sort of capital program or a, a construction contract or maintenance contract. I think with regards to planning, we are beginning to see more questions being asked about how that particular development fits into a local authority's um, community strategy or their inclusive growth strategy. So the fact that we're beginning to ask the questions means that people are thinking about how they can answer. I still think that we have a big challenge in joining the dots between the, the way that those sustainability and social value strategies, let's say at a master planning stage, actually then continue to feed through into construction and operation so that at the moment there is still a bit of a silo mentality between those kind of three major stages of development Um, and we're doing a lot of work and I know the UK Green Building Council as well are doing work and various other bodies to try and kind of bring those closer together so that the strategy feeds through all of those stages. Um, With regards to value, uh, the actual value and whether it costs more etc. I think people are beginning to realize that actually, you know, going back to the kind of constructing excellence approach, uh, we really need to look at sort of total life cycle cost. And I think that is becoming a much more commonly used term and ambition and aspiration of the industry is to actually look at, well, if we spend a bit more on the design, on the construction, then that will cost less, whether it's in terms of the environment or whether it's in terms of hard cash. Uh, in the future, so I think that is becoming uh, much more commonplace over the last few years.
1: One of the issues, and and Ben, I'll be interested in your insight of this, we work right across the value chain within the sector, so we work with some of the major commissioners of of programmes and projects, all the way through to effectively the one-person bands, be them designers or specialist contractors or indeed manufacturers. and. What constitutes value for them is very, very different uh, from a personal context, from a geographical context, and from the subsector in which they operate. So, Ben, from your perspective, can you see any commonality in responses you're getting from people when we refer to value? Or are you just finding that it's a complete jelly that you can't nail to the wall, and therefore, I'll follow up with you then, Rob, how do we help people then evidence it and put some measures to it. Ben what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah I get the sort of the simple response and I guess the most common response is can I get more bang for my buck um, and then that's when people start to diverge uh, well what does that mean because yeah. you know getting more for what you spend is slightly different uh, across the, um, the patch um, and I think that's often where we get confused when we try and procure for value and stuff it's you know, you only think about what value is for the client, not necessarily the end user and everyone through the supply chain, so that you're rewarding and incentivizing people in the way that will create positive behaviors that you're looking for when you say you're procuring for value. Um, and I think there, there is no often one answer in my experience, but it's just about understanding how you can have sort of an overarching outcome and ambition and how that um, impacts on different people differently. I mean, what would your opinion be, Rob?
0: Um, I think I think you're right in the overall ambition. I mean, the one thing that we always go through when in a very practical sense, when we're talking to, to anybody about social value that are delivering projects or within their business is, well, where does your business have enough influence to make a positive change? And for me, it's about asking those questions and getting people to think about them And then outlining that plan in a very practical way that can go through the different stages of design through to construction and operation because they do translate. And I think a lot of the time it's a, uh, like you say, it becomes a sort of jelly that people don't think that they can bring together into some sort of practical plan. Um, But social value isn't rocket science. It's just about answering that question about what impact is this going to have on people, and getting people to think of it in that way. Um, With regards to kind of the the evidencing of uh, the sort of consistent approach, as you will, a lot of the time people are using different sustainability frameworks or social value frameworks. So I think one thing that the industry are working on at the moment, and we're really, you know, sort of pushing for this, is a level of common language between the different sectors of the industry so when at least we discuss social value and the outcomes that we're looking to achieve and the aspirations and how they translate we can understand the language that we're using which will hopefully mean that it's a little bit less like jelly and people can see how their role can play a part in the overall social value that that development creates
1: and help help me here rob because the construction innovation hub is obviously doing a lot of work now about uh, procuring for value um and there's a lot of reference and growing awareness now of the the five capital models the yes. five capitals model and obviously one component of that is the social capital when you talk about social value are you just talking about that social capital or does it go beyond that in terms of
0: the five capitals model? Um, I suppose, I mean, I've written a blog about this, actually, um, around the five capitals approach, asking whether the five capitals is the kind of consistent language that we that we need to use within the industry, and should we adopt the five capitals approach. I did a piece of work with Hawley, the, the sustainable engineering consultants, recently. Yeah. They use a, a very... Um, a fantastic approach to the five capitals, and we looked at how social value embedded within their approach. And actually, the thing about social value is it obviously has impacts on the human capital, the social capital, and the economic capital, primarily. Um, And I think for me, uh, slightly maybe challengingly, it's less about where those aspects of social value are within the capitals framework, as long as they are within there because you'll be able to make arguments for social value being economic through the creation of jobs and social through the creation of employment for people. So there's, it, you know, it's more about the questions that they're actually highlighting the impact of job creation than where they fit. However, I do think we need to have that conversation and agree where they should fit within those capitals. Um, and that's the, the sort of subject of the blog really is saying, well. If we can all broadly agree on this, then at least we're talking the same language so that if a consultant comes in that uses the five capitals and a construction firm uses the triple bottom line, there's a commonality of language and they can understand which one fits with the other or how they fit together.
1: But Ben, you you all know, and we discuss it many times internally, is people can talk about the, the five capitals in their own language. They can talk about the triple bottom line. But that thing with the pound sign or the dollar sign or the euro sign always seems to predominate Mm. now if you look at the five capitals model to my in my understanding of it it almost acknowledges that that the the economic element of it is almost a a measure of the other four it's it's not tangible in itself it's just a means to to trade and commoditize the other Um, So how do we get people, and I ask particularly, and again, Ben will understand where I'm coming from, if this is an industry that's made up of nearly half a million different businesses, we're not talking about the high-speed twos or the Costains or the Arabs. How do they get it and how do they contribute to it? We're talking about those smaller organizations who are working really hard, investing a lot of their own wealth and human capital into developing a business and don't feel as though they're getting a sustainable economic return. So how do we get people to engage in this if we aren't going to come anywhere near uh, creating this positive construction sector that I refer to in our, our vision? Ben, do you want to
2: give some insight and maybe Rob again, give some thoughts on how you can help us? I mean, it's so. It, it's a question. I mean, we we debated something similar for half an hour last night. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, a, a regular um, uh, something that we that we come around. I think often uh, as an industry, and as I said to you last night, I think when we talk about these things, we focus too much on what from an economic standpoint is a large proportion of the industry but then from sort of everything else is actually a small proportion of the industry yes high speed two is huge it is fantastic it will create lots of economic positivity um but you're missing so much of the industry Uh, and i often think that what we what we do and what we share is great practice isn't always um communicated in a way that people get at all levels of the industry Uh, and I think we do have a a real communication issue um, as an industry, twofold. One, we we only talk about bad stuff, we rarely talk about the good stuff Um, and then secondly when we do talk about the good stuff it's an incredibly convoluted, you, you know, yeah I mean even like things like BIM, no one shows a BIM model of a, a nice something simple. It's something with 10,000 pipes all going everywhere, that, and no, no one talks about the rest of the stuff, how it improves data uh, and all that. It's just always about, look how amazing this rendering looks. Um, and it switches too much of the industry off because of that. Um, so, I, you know, communication for me is a sort of a, a pillar across everything that isn't well thought out and considered.
1: And Rob joined could maybe build on that point. It's one thing communicating it, but it needs to be evidence-based for it to, to really hit home. You've got to have you can have the passion and the emotion, but we also need to back it up with some hard, tangible data.
0: Any thoughts on that? Um, well, I suppose there, there's two parts of the answer to that question. I think the first part is around the kind of the small and those kind of subsectors and the smaller sectors within the construction industry and how they come on board. And I think the most important thing, and it kind of does feed into communication, and this needs to happen for the procurers and the kind of the tier ones and the designers and developers as well, is that we're not asking them to do everything. In fact, that creates kind of a negative impact or very, very little. What we're asking them to think about is, well, what do you do and where can you influence? And if they can't influence, and if they can't, if they can't do that, then that's fine. We, we do not penalize them. So asking a small design firm to take on 16-year-old apprentices may be completely not fit for purpose. Yeah. But that's the current procurement model, and that's the way we currently do things. What would be more important, funnily enough, I was having a discussion last night, completely different sector, um, about a camera hire company that hire out cameras for ITV and BBC and, and films and various other things. And they were, he was talking to me about CSR, and he said, well, we lend our cameras when they're, not in, when they're not hired out, we lend them to you know organizations that need high-end equipment and can't afford it. And I said, well, that's absolutely brilliant. That's using the value of your business to make a massive impact. Yeah. You know That's where they can make a difference. And I think that's what we sometimes forget is that we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole constantly rather than looking at people's businesses and saying, well, where can you do this? And once we talk people through it, It's actually not rocket science at all. What I do, and Ben will have heard me say this many times, my job is not to be needed. I shouldn't be here to try and get people to think in this way. These these are things they're doing anyway. We just bring it out of them. On the second point about the data and the evidence, um, I wrote another blog and I'm doing some work with the Open Data Institute about how we can maybe objectify some of the, the the social value and the social impact we create so with particularly the larger projects but as well with smaller projects there's data and open data out there through ONS through various other data sources where we can see change so actually using or combining that data with more con- with more qualitative data would give us a much better picture on the change that the industry creates and communicating that good story rather than a bit of a bugbear of myself, you know, sort of pictures of kids in hard hats on sites or the kind of more marketing led, PR led approach, which we seem to be stuck in at the moment.
1: Yeah. Well, look, as unsurprisingly, we have only skirted over the surface of that, but uh, we're fast approaching uh, running out of time here. But just maybe to finish off and taking your point, point, Ben, on the positive. Let's just think about what is the message we want to conclude this podcast with, but also open it up to continue the debate, not only between ourselves, but with the industry at large. What has struck me during this current crisis is um, in the early stages, construction, once again, was seen as part of the problem. Our sites were open. We were traveling in the tube. We were conductors of the the problem. Um, And that I've seen that change. I've seen that change with the construction of the lights of Nightingale. And just the fact that we are seen now as keeping people in work. We are seen as keeping the fabric of society going. We are seen as developing the society for the future. And that gives me a lot of confidence actually that people outside our industry are starting to recognize the good that we do. I think as long as we within the industry now start to embrace that and start to feel a little bit prouder of ourselves and Mm -hmm. start building upon that, then I think out of this disaster, this crisis, a lot of good could come and therefore there is an opportunity now that I think is incumbent on all of us within this sector to really grab hold of. So that's what I'd like to, to say to you and to all of those that are listening is let's now build upon this crisis and let's actually start. Uh, emphasizing and communicating the good that we do. And Rob, let's start getting some metrics in place to not only measure what we've done, but how we can build upon that for the future. So that's my two pennies worth. Uh, I'll, I'll let Rob finish. Ben, what would you like to add or
2: challenge to that? Oh, how do you follow that? Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, it's, um, it is a great opportunity for construction where we are to um, embrace the changes that have been forced upon us slightly accelerated compared to maybe where we were sort of six months ago or so you know it's a real drive now for digitizing what we do for modern methods of construction coming to the fore we've got to make sure that we don't quickly as lockdown ends go back to where we were um, and it's a great opportunity to um because we will be seen as a great way to kick start the economy um you, you know yeah. opening the pubs seeming is this week's thing about uh, kickstarting the economy, but it's uh, you know about infrastructure um, investment and uh, new houses and things like that will really be the boost that we need for the next eighteen months. Um, and we've seen that in um, you know the infrastructure pipeline that came out was it last week, the week before. It's um, massive. Uh, you, you know, it's a challenge to actually do that much work um, in, in the time they're talking about, but it's a challenge that we should embrace as an industry. Uh, and really try and sort of step up and create the economic human social capital value and everything else that we know we can do when we do it right
1: yeah excellent
2: your turn rob, uh, rob. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah uh, again how do you follow
0: those both um, i mean i think from from a social sort of social value perspective i think there are what's happened because you know in the in the current climate is that. People, we've seen an immediate sort of more collaboration, particularly between the industry bodies, between the different subsectors within the sector. And I think we should really grab hold of that as we all go back to work and everything else. And, And we need to make sure that that continues so that we can get this kind of more consistent message out there about the value that the industry creates, which will then feed into the way that the public view us. I I do think that there is the sort of the main drive at the moment is around that consistency. We're not looking for consistency in measurement because that is a step too far, but we are looking for consistency in language and communication and the way that we think about social value. I think there is a role to play of the digital digitization and using data, using open data. I think it was yourself, Ben. Um, in many Constructing Excellence meetings, you know, it's not the fact that we don't have the data, it's just we don't know what to do with it. And I think there's a lot more that social value can can bring to that and look at that data and see what that generates. And lastly, I suppose, it's about the fact that we do work in this amazing industry and we do all of this stuff. I just think sometimes that people shy away from it because they don't know how to articulate it. And I think social value is you know, looked at as being this jelly area. And I think we just need to get better at saying, okay, well, how do we answer that question? How do we answer the question of where can I make an influence to make a positive impact? What's the impact on people? And it doesn't need to be complex. It doesn't need people like me to come into your business and tell you. Much as I'd like to, it doesn't need (laughs) You just need to ask yourself those questions.
1: Well, look, I'll bring it to to a close there, guys. Um, I'd certainly like to continue this conversation between our respective businesses, but I'm sure you'd agree, Rob, that more importantly, we need to open up this conversation to others. So as always, please do um, do, uh, give us some feedback on this podcast. If you like it, share it with others. If you don't, please let us have your comments so that we we can amend the message or we can debate the message or we can invite you on future podcasts yourselves. Rob, we'll put on, with your permission, your your contact details, or at least your website, so that people can contact you, uh, because yeah. I, I'm sure you agree, this is what it's all about. It's it's starting the conversation and getting more people involved. So uh, thank you very much for for joining us. Enjoy your sleep in the woods again tonight, if that's what you plan to do in your hammock. Ben, likewise, thank you very much. And as always, everyone, thank you for joining us, and everyone, please keep safe. Thank you, you very, very much.
0: Come to Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms
2: so you'll
1: never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive
0: rating. Or if you simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.